Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and each week through this show, I have the opportunity to interview various experts who helped me, often, with the topic of each week's column. You know, I write a lot on energy. Every single week I write a column on energy in some way, but the last several months I've kind of avoided writing anything about the oil and gas industry. I like to think of myself as a cheerleader for energy because I believe, as the name of my organization says, that energy makes America great. But there hasn't been a lot of really good news coming out for the oil and gas industry, so I've written on other energy themes. But, you know, we're seeing the price of oil creeping up, creeping up, and creeping up. So I got into looking at why is it creeping up? Is this long-term? What can we expect? And as I worked on my column for this week, my column that I titled, What's Up with Prices at the Pump and Why It Could Be a Good Sign, I reached out to my friend, Tim Snyder, who is an energy economist. And not only is he an energy economist, but he can communicate in a way that the average person, me included, can understand. So I've invited Tim to be our first guest for today's America's Voice for Energy. Tim, thanks for joining me once again. It's entirely my pleasure. Thanks for asking me, Marita. Well, you know, I always appreciate your insights, and I especially appreciate that you and I have the ability to take an idea, that I can have an idea where I think I want to go with the each week's column, and that I can reach out to you who understands the economics of the, of the industry far more than I do, because I'm really merely the communicator. I'm not the expert, though, um, as you know, Tim, when I'm on the radio, they introduce me as an expert, and I accept the moniker because I know more about energy than anyone wants to hear. But I'm not really, truly the expert. So I reached out to you this week to help me understand kind of what was going on with prices, uh, uh, the price of oil and therefore the price of gasoline, and why the fact that it's going up could be a good thing. Because we're seeing consumers, myself included, loving buying gasoline at less than $2 a gallon, and now it's back up nationally to about two twenty a gallon. So, you know, help help us understand this. Oh, sure. Well, you know, uh, the, the listeners of your radio show might sit there asking themselves, why in the world is gasoline prices going up good for me, you know? And, it, and it's quite simple. It's, it's really not a complicated method, a model here that we need to look at. In the first place, when you see crude oil prices starting to, to slip back up, and they're, and they're down just a little bit today just because we haven't had the, the constant onslaught of positive news like we did at the end of last week. But you start to see these oil prices slipping up, and, and it's been kind of interesting. We've, we've had one of the strongest April rallies that we've had in almost 10 years. It's really amazing to me that we would be uh, uh, where we are in the crude oil prices right now with so much emphasis on production. Okay, world production has stolen the stage. Most of the time as an economist, we talk about things in, in terms of supply and demand. Well, 
production kind of took the place of uh, the demand side of that equation, and now it's supply and demand and production because there's that storage component that we have and the amount of crude oil that we have in storage, and that was scaring people to death. Low crude oil prices means that the lifeblood of the, not only the U.S. economy but the world economy is pumping slower through the, through the veins of our economic drivers throughout the United States and the world. When you see crude oil prices start to tick back up, not really back up to the levels where they were in the $100 range, but when you're in the $50, $60 range uh, where, where the oil companies are making uh, a, a, a small profit, where they can be profitable, they're slightly above break-even, and the gasoline prices can come back and start following a normal supply versus demand model, our economy has a tendency to react to that more favorably, and it grows. Last Thursday's GDP rating, a reading for the, it's actually the first reading for the first quarter, it came out at 0.5%, one half of 1%. And last year's GDP total on the year at 1.9 to 2.2% overall throughout the entire year shows you that with a depressed energy market, and I mean fossil fuels here, uh, primarily crude oil, it takes breadth, you know, width and breadth out of a marketplace. As we begin to grow, I think the second quarter of this year actually may be a little bit better GDP number than that 0.5. We may actually be back at 2 or a little bit higher than 2%, so that's a good thing, Marita. Well, it certainly is a good thing. We need to have a, a growing economy, and, and our, those numbers, as you mentioned, are, are really um, not good for the United States. But while we're seeing those numbers for the United States, we're seeing some uh, more positive numbers on a global scale. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we are seeing, you know, there's a lot of things that we're talking about from the standpoint of when you say positive numbers, let's talk in terms of, of really the, the biggest driver that moves this equation, and it, as it should be in a fully functional and surviving economy, that's an ample demand. Two things that are very important here that we need to understand. China, first and foremost, for the last probably four, five, six years, has been overestimating the growth, their own GDP, their own growth in their country, okay? Unfortunately, what has happened and, and, and what supported that is they've been buying commodities at a level that would support the number that they're telling people and stockpiling those commodities. The best part about this is the fact that that's, that um, kind of a drought that they've had in the Chinese economy is beginning to move again. And so... They've worked through that oversupply of commodities, and it's all commodities. It's everything from some of the precious metals, primarily copper, silver, because you know copper and silver are industrial metals as well, to crude oil. Sure. And that's very important for their moving economy. And then you look back in the United States, that would be number one. Number, number two is the United States. The United States, the demand that was estimated uh, for gasoline for 2016 seems to have been underestimated. So that's a good thing. Of course, remember, this is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Lower gasoline prices has a tendency to increase demand. So that all works. We'll find that equilibrium point where crude oil, and it may be 
you know, by let's say by the end of the year, we may be in $55, $56, a barrel, uh, you know, somewhere in the 50s, I would expect, and that's good. Um, and then 2017, and I will, I'll even uh, put uh, T. Boone Pickens back on the on the radar screen because Boone Pickens thinks we're going to be above seventy dollars uh, in 2017. So, you know, that's good for oil companies. That's above break even, and what it does is it sparks that fracking opportunity once again. And you'll see corporations begin to expand capex. You'll see banks looking at at um, healing those wounded balance sheets that they have from the oil companies that really did suffer uh, from that period of, of lower exploratory production, not you know, not necessarily the standard production that we have online right now. Yeah, and that's going to be a driver for the future, that lack of expenditure in, in uh, exploration. Uh, tell us how that's going to impact uh, the supplies in the future. Well, it's kind of interesting because we just basically, you know, I'll use T. Boone Pickens' words again. He called it dead in the water. We basically stopped everything uh, for a period. You know, that period of 20 months that we've had uh, since the price. The contraction. Yeah, that serious contraction from July of 2014 uh, to today. I think it was, uh, I might have actually written, might have sent this to you, Marita. But, you know, in in 2000. Uh, 14, the Baker Hughes rig camp had us eight, had us at 1,807 rigs um, drilling for oil in 2015, and this is all April-centric numbers. 2015, we were at 679, literally one third of the value of that to have 1,807 uh, rigs in, or in exploration. And then 2016, this last Friday, Baker Hughes rig cap showed me 343 uh, oil rigs that were out there drilling for oil in this continental United States. That's a, that's a fraction. That is only 20% of the number that we've been, been looking at for producing crude oil. Now, let's put this into balance. Um, we have had... A, uh, a 535 million barrels of crude oil in storage, as, as reported in the news, okay? Well, we, we have a demand for the gasoline in the United States to go to the refineries of about 16.1 million barrels of crude oil every day, all right? Well, if you look at that number and divide that by, you know, the the the... Uh, number of days that we're dealing with here uh, by what our daily demand is, it comes down to 33 days of oversupply. And that's not You know, and, and Tim, I'm going to jump in here for real quick because we only have about two minutes left because I want you to address that 33 days of supply that you're talking about and, and then add on to that the, the risk metric specifically hurricanes. Okay. Well, and that's another issue that we deal with every single year this time of year. In a normal year, it doesn't make any difference whether supply is up or down or production is up and down. We always have the risk of hurricanes coming in the Atlantic. And it's been it's just been one of those years that, you know, we, we look at um, Dr. Phil Klotzbach over at the uh, uh, Colorado State University is well known, uh, actually probably the premier 
uh, predictor of what's going to happen with hurricanes. He said it's going to be basically the same as last year, as we're in, we're still in a very strong El Nino. As the El Nino begins to wane and we start to pick up with La Nina, we may pick up an additional storm. And those kinds of things put pressure on crude oil, and it puts even more pressure. And this is risk that we're talking about. It adds more risk to uh, producing a gallon of gasoline or a gallon of diesel, and you begin to see those those prices begin to move up because of the hurricane metric that we're dealing with. It's a normal part of the year. And so that's that's just a big part of what we're looking at, Marita. Those things begin yeah. to add up and things pile on, and that's where we are. And you have an interesting perspective in this because, as an energy economist, you also have a background in refining. And we've only just got a few seconds left, Tim, but you produce a daily report that people can subscribe to. Tell us about that uh, quickly and how people can get on your list. Well, what we do is, is we, we write um, just a, a quick little energy brief is what I call it. It's, uh, it's got both technical and fundamental information. In other words, news-driven uh, issues that drive the market and then the stuff that you look at when, from the charts if you're a chart kind of guy in the markets. And what we do is we use that to uh, keep our traders and, uh, and basically uh, those that are involved in the oil and gas industry uh, attuned to the marketplace. And uh, of course, they can always uh, they can always email me at tim at agri energy solutions with an s dot com, and we'll put them on our list. Great, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. We're out of time, and we'll be right back. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. 
Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking about some possible good news for the oil industry, as we've seen the price of oil tick up, which means the price of gasoline at the pump is also climbing, which, you know, for the consumers, they're not so happy about that. But I believe this is good news overall for both the industry and consumers at large, maybe not every single consumer, but for consumers at large. So to talk about this with me, I'm delighted to have with us today Phil Flynn, who's been a guest on America's Voice for Energy before. You probably see Phil on the Fox Business Channel and on Fox News uh, Network, and we're delighted to have his insights today. So Phil, thanks for joining us once again. Thank you. It's great to be here, Marita, in a, in a wild time for energies. Well, it's been a rough, rough, rough 20 months, but it, it looks like maybe we have some good news. Uh, you know, in the last week or so, it seems like prices have really kind of stabilized, yeah. but on an upward trajectory. They really have. In fact, you know, we were hit so hard in the beginning of the year, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that rally that we saw in the month of April uh, was one of the best rallies the energy market has seen in about, you know, 20 years. Uh, it's incredible. Well, actually, seven years. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But it was uh, we came up 70% from the low prices that we saw back after the prices crashed in January. And it really does seem like the market is starting to adjust to the fact that the low prices created a situation where demand would explode and production would fall. And the market's now betting that we're going to see this market go from an oversupply to an undersupply in the future. You know, and we, there are a lot of different opinions out there. People ask me, because I write on this all the time, you know, where is it going? I'm like, oh, heck, you don't want to ask me. I'm just a communications person. I mean, even, even T. Boone Pickens hasn't gotten it right. So what chances are that, you know, little old me is going to get it right? But smarter people than me like you think it's going to, going to continue to go up, but there's also a lot of smart people, um, friends of mine, people I interact with who think it still could hit $15 a, bar a gallon, I mean, excuse me, a barrel. Sure. You know, my, 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 I, I agree with uh, uh, the International Energy Agency, which basically came around to seeing the market the way that I see it, that if we're going to ever see $15... So they really agree with you? They do. Rather than they you agreeing with them, they agree with you? Yeah, they, they, they finally saw the light. I think it took a little while for them to see it. But you know what? I'll tell you what. The beginning of the year, we saw uh, one of the biggest price crashes to start the year in oil prices ever. We saw the stock market fall apart. And the reason why oil prices went down to $26 a barrel, let's face it, because they thought China was going to grind to a halt. They'd stop importing oil. Demand globally was just going to fall off the map, so oil prices are going down to $10 a barrel. But all of those fears turned out to be not justified. Look what happened in China. China's oil imports are at an all-time record high. They're importing more oil than they ever have before. The demand for oil in India is through the roof. Uh, in U.S. demand for oil, it didn't grind to a halt. We're seeing gasoline demand at the highest level it's ever been, and that's even with the price of gasoline going up. So, you know, we're, it, we're, we're really seeing what we've seen so many times Low prices cure low prices. Crashing prices cures them a lot faster. And, and I'm afraid that the prices we saw earlier in the year, we might not see for 20 years. 
Well, you know, I certainly hope that you're right, but there's a lot of consumers out there who uh, hope that you're wrong, who are really liking the low price of gasoline at the pump. My feeling is, is that, uh, you know, it, the low prices are going to stay, relatively speaking. I, I think that there are consumers out there that never like when gasoline prices are going up, Let's face it, in 2008, when gasoline prices, you know, fell for the first time, um, it really was a sign that it was bad for consumers because they were all losing their jobs. They were getting laid off, right? And, and sometimes low prices aren't the cure-all of everything. And so that's a big uh, part of what we are looking at. So my, my feeling is from the demand side of the equation, even as prices go up for crude, gas prices will go up. We're at the bottom end of the cycle, and in a few years from now, people will be wondering, why the heck did I buy this big SUV? You know, but yeah. that's the truth. That's it. So. Do, you, do you think prices are going to go back up into the $100 range anytime soon? Not soon, but I do think we have a shot to get to the high 70s or 80s by the end of this year. Um, mm -hmm. And I could foresee $100 a barrel in a couple of years. And it's not that outrageous. Um, if you consider the fact, Marita, that inflation is at an all-time low, uh, really. I mean, we have disinflation in a lot of the countries uh, around the globe. And, you know, and, and every central banker around the globe is trying to stimulate inflation. Um, over time, that should lead to higher energy prices, even if the supply and demand balance really doesn't change that much. Yeah, and it's interesting because I see that um, as prices go up to, let's say, 50, let's say we hit $50 a barrel, you know, in the next couple of weeks, and it kind of seems to stabilize in that ballpark so that producers have a little bit of confidence in the market. We're then going to see a lot of wells that are that have been drilled that are what you know what is called the frack log that they're drilled but they're sitting there they've never been developed or you know, or finished completed um, and th so once once those wells because we've got a lot of industry holding a lot of debt out there and they need to get some cash flow so as soon as the market seems stable they're going to start pumping which has the potential to drop the price again. Which ones? The ones that are still in business, you mean? <laughs> yeah, those. Well, yeah, those. I've heard of these guys that drilled wells are in bankruptcy right now. And if they're going to bring these wells back But out, somebody's going to buy that. Somebody will buy that on pennies ooh. on a dollar and bring it back into production. Ooh, ooh. I mean, you look at all the major energy companies, they're cutting, cutting back capital spending at a record pace, billions and billions of dollars. Uh, some of these hedge funds that are out there, they took a big hit last year when they tried to fund some of these guys bringing the wells back on, only to have to take them down once again. And, and while I do believe that once we get above 50, some of these wells will come back online, the assumption that as soon as we get above 50, we're going to see all these wells come back on as quickly as we did a year ago, let's say, I don't think it's going to happen. People are going to be a lot... You think they'll be a little more skittish? Heck yeah. I mean, last year, if anybody who brought a rig back on last year when we saw oil prices go back up had to take them off a few months later. Um, 
and and I know of CEOs that lost their job because they thought the bottom was in, and they you know brought rigs back on only to have to take them down, and they were looking for a job the next week. So I think you know, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. I don't think the bankers are going to lend these guys money to bring these wells back on. I think they're going to want proof that this is a sustainable move, not a flash in the pan. And, and so I think they're going to be a lot slower to bring rigs back on. In fact, Baker Hughes did a report, and they seem to agree with me. They seem to suggest that they expect the rig counts to continue to fall even as prices go back up. So I don't think you're going to see these frack loggers come back on and save the day. I think by the time they come back on, uh, it'll be too little too late. Hmm. Interesting. Now, what about uh, the Saudis' a threat to increase production? The Saudis have big economic problems of their own. Um, they, they have a few wells that they can raise production. Um, I think they just opened a, a well so they can produce about 11 million plus a day. But even the Saudis are going to have a more difficult time bringing production back online because they're losing billions of dollars. Look at what's happened. You've got the new prince over there, um, Muhammad uh, bin Salam, uh, who's mm -hmm. trying to restructure the entire economy. Um, he's losing billions of dollars every month in their sovereign wealth fund. They have to sell part of their state-owned oil company to raise funds. Um, and, you know, to think that they can just flip a switch and bring on money um, is it's, it's not, it's, it's not as easy as you think it might be. So I think they're going to struggle to get production much higher than it is now. And I think it's amazing. Remember five years ago, everybody thought it was twilight in the desert. You know, Saudi Arabia can't pump any more oil. You know, now here we are a few years ago and we're worried about them you know, producing more than 11 million barrels a day, you know, I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. Can they raise production? They can. Do they have the capital to do it? I don't think so. That's an interesting point. You know, you also bring up another interesting point about that, you know, we thought it was twilight in the desert. It's interesting to look at where we are and realize that as little as 10 years ago, um, people were crying peak oil, we're running out, and that's why we need to invest in renewables because, we are running out of oil. Right. I think it's amazing um, that the world has changed so dramatically because of technology and the way the economy is going. I mean, it's definitely a different world. But I think if you really want to compare to what's going on right now, if you take a longer-term perspective, I think what's, what we're seeing here in the energy industry is more akin to what we saw in 1998 and 1999 when oil prices went back down to $10 a barrel. And if you remember that there was unprecedented pain in the oil patch, you know, Exxon yes. ended up buying mobile, Texaco went out of business, yada, yada, yada. And, I mean, that was a, an era, of course, where we said oil prices would never go above $30 a barrel again. Well, guess what? You know, it was the beginning of the biggest bull run in oil history. I, I see so many similarities to what we saw in 98 and 99 to what we're seeing today. And I think from a long-term perspective, uh, this is a generational buy in the oil market. So you're encouraging people to invest in oil at this point? I would be. You know, obviously everybody has to look at their risk tolerance and the best way to do it. And I think you got to be careful, especially with some of the smaller companies, because some of them, of course, are at risk of losing their dividend. Some are at risk of going bankrupt. So you have to be, you know, obviously selective. 
Um, but if you have a long-term horizon, um, I think that this is probably the best buy you're going to see maybe for, for years. Um, you know, it seems like we're at the bottom end of the cycle. And this cycle, of course, did a little bit of a double dip and kind of shook everybody out. But if I look at the amount of barrels that have been lost due to the sell-off in oil, we know we're going to have a shortage a few years down the road. You know, in fact, I saw one projection that within, you know, 10 years, you know, we could have a global shortfall of 4 to 5 million barrels of oil a day. That's a lot of oil. Uh, and, and the only way you're going to be able to make up that shortfall is to make investment. And that's going to take time. It's not going to happen overnight. Right. And, you know, so I think it's going to be, um, you know, we're, we're planting the seeds for the next oil price spike today. Bill, your, your comments in your uh, daily energy report that you put out were so helpful to me in putting this column together. And let me mention that you are the senior market analyst with the Price Futures Group. How can people get a copy of your energy report? Yeah, they can just shoot me an email at pflynn at pricegroup.com, you know, or just give me a call, 888-264-5665, but email any time of day. P. Flynn at pricegroup.com. Great. Phil Flynn, I appreciate your insights. Thanks for taking your time to join us today on America's Voice for Energy. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Each week as I talk to different guests, I like to pretend that it's a live show. However, this week, I have to fess up that it's all pre-recorded. You probably knew that anyway. But I've done one segment with, with uh, my friend Tim Snyder and with Phil Flynn on Monday. I'm now recording a segment with my second guest, uh, or, I mean, excuse me, my third guest on Tuesday, and my fourth guest will be recorded on Wednesday. Why is this relevant? Because we're talking about the price of oil 
and it keeps changing. So, recording on Tuesday, I'm delighted to have a new guest with me to America's Voice for Energy, Tony Del Torrio, who is a former former financial advisor and a financial writer, investment writer. And that's what he does full-time now. And Tony's going to kind of give us a little bit different view today on Tuesday from what Phil gave us yesterday on Wednesday. So, Tony, welcome with the contrarian view to America's Voice for Energy. Thanks, uh, Marita. Thanks for having me on. And you and I have exchanged emails uh, over over the past several months. We both tend to write on many of the similar topics because, of course, they're the energy topics kind of of the day. So we tend to track together. And, uh, you know, I talked with Phil in our last segment, and he's pretty convinced that the price of oil has bottomed out and that while we will, of course, have fluctuations, that we're going to see a pretty consistent upward trajectory. But you've got a different viewpoint, correct? That's correct. Uh, almost exactly uh, the opposite of Phil's uh, viewpoint there. Yeah, I was giving a speech today, as you and I were talking about a little bit earlier, I was giving a speech today in Roswell, New Mexico, and I basically uh, gave the speech uh, based on the content of my column. And I said in my speech, you know, there's there's equally sound logic behind the view that the price is going up and behind the view that the price is going down. So Phil gave us kind of the price is going up view. What What's the, what's the logic? What are the fundamentals behind the price is going down view? Yeah, the, there's uh, several uh, of those, uh, Marita. Uh, by the way, over the last two days, oil is down five uh, percent, just to show how volatile it is. But uh, yeah, so you 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 look like the right one today. Yeah, at least today, Polly Demar. Yeah, I'll be the wrong one. And, and that's man. part of why I had to fess up that we're recording this over three different days, so we might have some fluctuations. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, that, that's for sure. Uh, uh, my, my number one reason is because uh, I come from a, a Wall Street perspective, so. I tend to look at oil uh, through that prism. And one of the big reasons I'm negative is that the speculators have basically rushed into one side of the boat. All the uh, hedge funds and you know all the other Wall Street speculators, they're all betting that uh, oil is going to continue up. In fact, uh, there was an article that I read this morning from uh, John Kemp, who is the energy writer for Reuters, and he revealed that the uh, speculative position in in oil, betting on that's going up, is at a record high. Uh, the speculators actually own uh, roughly the equivalent of 800 million barrels of, of oil there, betting that it's going to go higher. And past history on that is that when... when when these guys are on one side of the trade, something will happen to reverse it. Uh, you know, earlier this year, these same people were betting on the downside. And, of course, you know, uh, they quickly reversed, and now they're all on the upside. And I would not be surprised that some event will occur that will make them all change their minds and they'll liquidate the positions and, you know, down will go oil 10 15 bucks a barrel again. 
Yeah, do you think that's because, like me, they want to believe that it's going to go up, and so when they look at the fundamentals uh, supporting that side, they, they um, go, yeah, yeah, let's go there. Part of it is that, I'm sure some of those uh, people uh, is that, but part of it is it, it's just the uh, the Wall, Wall Street uh, mentality where it's very short-term trading. Uh, I call them the Momo traders, uh, they're better known as the momentum traders. And basically, they just see a trend, you know, like whatever direction it's going up or down, they see a trend and they just jump on it, and they could care less what the fundamentals are. Then as soon as they see, uh, you know, reversal in the trend, a little chart pattern goes against them, bang, and they're they're out of their position, and they just reverse the position. So you you project that the price of oil is not heading upward, or at least not in the sh in the near term, but in fact it's 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 heading down. And what do you base that on? Right. And, and another big reason besides, you know, even say we ignore what the speculators are doing, another big reason is uh, uh, frack log, uh, a term that probably your listeners aren't familiar with. It's just a term the oil industry has given to uh, w uh, wells that the, you know, the shale companies in, in this country have drilled, but they really haven't brought them online. Basically, they've left the oil in the ground. It's, it's in effect, a, a sort of a neat way of storing oil without having to use, you know, storage tanks and things like that. They just leave it in the ground. and So they've drilled it, and they know the oil is there. Yeah, the oil's just sitting but, there. And they, but in yeah. essence, they cap the well. In, in effect, right. And from uh, some uh, sources, they, uh, Bloomberg, in fact, it was... Uh, this was just from about a month or so ago. Uh, Bloomberg said there's about there's over four thousand such wells drilled in the U.S. Where, you know, like you said, it's basically capped wells. The oil's just sitting there, and uh, uh, the, so they, it would be fairly easy to bring that oil exactly. online. Exactly, their, their estimate that that the Bloomberg gave the average well c can be brought back to life within eighty days, so less than three months. And uh, and further, th there's a lot of that oil sitting there. Uh, the estimate I, s I saw from Bloomberg is that uh, uh, just bringing online 170 of those wells per month, which really isn't a lot, that would add roughly 500,000 barrels per day to the supply. And if that happens, again, oil prices is going to he head lower because that's, that's just too much supply for the current demand. Yeah. As we're talking, I'm sitting in Roswell, New Mexico, which is in the Permian Basin, as they call it. And there's probably that many wells right here just in the Permian yeah. Basin that could be brought back online pretty quickly. Absolutely, yeah. You're right there. So you're seeing that, that the supply, uh, the available supply far outweighs the potential d uh, growth or demand growth. Yeah, exactly. That's... That's the reason I'm very skeptical uh, uh, of this rally, because as you said, I used to be an advisor. I've been in the markets really since the '80s, and I've seen lots of these, you know, ups and downs, both in stocks yes. and, and commodities. And you know, my gut's just telling me, you know, do not trust this current rally. So, 
I guess we'll find yeah, out who's right. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will find out soon enough. We've only talked about the supply side in the United States. What about in the Middle East? Right. Yeah, that, that's uh, a, a, another concern of mine because uh, uh, there's been a lot of talk really since uh, February about a, a production freeze that's uh, you know, going to occur between the major producers in the Middle East and, and even now. But they keep talking about that, and we don't see anything happening. Right. Nothing's happening. In fact, uh, Russia has said even if they agree to a freeze, which, of course, nobody's agreed to anything yet, Russia says that permits them to grow their output by 2% a year. Uh, Saudi Arabia, again, who very unlikely that they will agree to a freeze, but even if they agree to a freeze, they have a joint oil field with Kuwait, and uh, they're bringing that online uh, no matter what, and that's 300,000 barrels a day of additional production. And then, of course, finally we have Iran, and Iran is looking to probably build their production up by at least another million barrels a day to the 4 million barrel a day level, which is roughly what they were doing before, you know, all the sanctions uh, took effect. Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly, if, if you're Iran and you have your oil uh, sales have been constrained for all these years, once those constraints are taken off, you know, you, you're going to want to pump as much as you can pump. Yeah, exactly, yeah, to make up for the uh, lost revenue and lost uh, market share. And, in fact, Iran, uh, their oil minister and some other their government officials have said that they basically told the market, like, don't bother us with this talk of freeze or anything else until we get our production up and we regain our lost market share. So Iran sure as heck isn't going to, you know, <laughs> stop you know, production. They're going to go ramp it up until 4 million barrels a day f for certain. Now, I wrote, when I, I wrote my column, uh, I started it, did my research Friday, did most of my writing on Saturday and Sunday. The relevance for this timing and for my admitting that w what days we're recording these interviews on, uh, the relevance in that is that when I wrote over the weekend, um, then Monday the news came, we've got new unrest in Iraq. Uh, do you see that's going to have any impact? We've got new riots going on and things like that in Iraq that were not, that hadn't percolated to the top uh, when I wrote my column over the weekend. Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, that that that, that could affect, and that would help oil prices there because right. Iraq has been another country in the Middle East that's been growing their oil production like crazy. I think over the last year, I'm going on memory, so I may not be 100% correct, but I think they've added like three-quarters of a million barrels per day to their production. Obviously, any sort of unrest there, that'll slash their production uh, somewhat, which, which, which would help, you know, keep the uh, oil yeah. prices up. Yeah, you know, I had a gentleman, I can't remember his name offhand, I hate to say, like you, I'm doing this out of memory, uh, who I had on the show about two, maybe three weeks ago, and he was... Before he was in the army, and he—I don't remember his exact title—but he was the one who got when when the when the when Saddam Hussein was was booted out and so forth. He was the one who got all the uh, maps 
I, there's a better word for it, I know, on how much oil is available in Iraq. And he had really dramatic figures of how much oil was available. The guy was fascinating. I think his name was Bud Holtzman is what's coming to my mind. But anyway, so, Tony, we've only got just uh, seconds left. Time has flown by. I love talking about energy. The time goes by so quickly. Where can people uh, get your writing? Because you write two different uh, pieces a week. Is that correct? Well, I, I write for two different uh, firms. I actually write five to six pieces a week, although it's not okay. just on energy, but, you know, it's on markets in general. Uh, uh, well, one place where uh, I write uh, uh, un under my uh, name, uh, Tony Del Torrio, it's uh, Wyatt Investment Research. So the uh, website would, of course, be www.wyattinvestmentresearch.com. And the second place I also write for Wall Street Daily. They're actually a subsidiary of the biggest investment newsletter publisher in the world, which is Agora Publishing. And uh, their website is www.wallstreetdaily.com. And there, since it's a different company, I have to use a pen name there. That, you know, these companies don't like you know, to have the same writer <laughs> when they're, you know, different right. companies. So there I use a pen name, and my pen name there is uh, Tim Maverick because my views are usually Maverick. You know, they're, yeah, they're, well, they're different. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing your Maverick views with us today, Tony Del Torrio. We're out of time, but thanks for joining us on America's Voice for Energy. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the closing segment of America's Voice for Energy. We've been talking today about the price of oil. And as the segments of each of this show have been recorded on different days, and the price of oil is moving this week, we kind of have an interesting discussion going on. Recording now on Wednesday morning, I have uh, Dan Flynn with me, who is, as his brother, Phil Flynn, that we heard from earlier, with the Price Futures Group. And Dan is the author of the Corn and Ethanol Report. But I cited him in my column this week on the price of oil, talking specifically about the lack of investment going into new exploration right now. And so we're going to talk in our closing segment about, you know, where are we today and what's happening with the price of oil. So, Dan, I appreciate you joining me, and thanks uh, for coming on, America's Voice for Energy. Well, glad to, glad to join you, Marita. How are you? 
I'm good, and you know, it's, we're watching the price of oil, and it's down a little bit from where it was last week at the high of the year, um, but it, it's, it's jumping around a little bit, and some people think we're in a bubble. Uh, what I, you know, your brother told us that he thinks we've hit the bottom. I spoke yesterday in Roswell, New Mexico, and, and kind of told them the same thing, but of course that's partially my own wishes. I want that we've hit the bottom. What do you think? Where are we? Well, I think we're very, very close to a bottom. I think we're going um, to we're going to see see in a historical jump. Uh, if you look at all the oil companies that have gone bankrupt and uh, cut off, you know, um, you know, major costs, you know, uh, costs that you know, uh, trying to explore in um, uh, you know the Arctic, you know, Royal Dutch Shell. Yeah, sure. A lot of that's not going on. People have pulled back from the, the North Sea. They pulled back from the very costly. Uh, deep uh, deep water um, exploration. We they definitely pulled back. Right, right. And you know, banks aren't loaning, loaning money, uh, you know, to oil companies right now. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's just a scary thing right now because everybody thinks you know we're in a glut of oil. Uh, you know, we had the Chinese manufacturing data come out and you know kind of slam dunk the market very early in the week, and now the market has come kind of rebounded a little bit, even though the stock market is down. Um, and, you know, once this glut of oil is off the table, um, you know we're going to see. You know, I'm hearing. You know, we're probably at the low right now. The suit pretty much. Right now, the June crude is trading at forty four twenty four, and right now I'm hearing forty five is probably going to be the buy. You know, that's going to be a value buy um, at this juncture. Well, you know, as I said, you hear different things. I heard someone this morning on Fox Business talking about that we're in an oil bubble and it's all due to basically speculators. Well, you know what? Uh, as far as speculators go, you know, the, uh, speculators kind of save the market. You know, if you go back to, uh, gosh, the, you know, t- uh, 2008 or, you know, the banking crisis we had, if it wasn't for the speculators, um, you know, we, we, <laughs> the economy would be in really, really deep trouble. Um you know, speculators do drive you know do drive prices, but you know they're only a small, they're just a handful of uh, uh, you know what is out there. Um, and, and again, if you look at uh, you know you look at oil stocks, and it, you know these companies are dying on the vine, and what what the futures prices tell you, and the speculators are telling you, they're jumping on board, they're buying you know into the future future prices. Um, and this is what this market is, you know, dictating right now because um, there, there's been a lot of people like the Goldman Sachs of the world, you know, saying that the prices are going to go down to 20 or, you know, the historical, you know, 10, 11 dollars. Um, and you know, when the market went to a um, hundred dollars, they were calling for 200 dollar oil. Um, so you know, some of these guys are Charlie come latelys, but you know. You know, speculators are are there, to, you know, to make the market more efficient, and you know, have it work. And um, you know, and you know, again, with these price spikes that you're seeing, if you, if it wasn't for the speculators taking on the risk, um, and there was really, you know, you know, no free markets for free men, these these markets <laughs> would skyrocket. You know, and uh, you know, and, and you know, speculators take on the risk and. Um, um, you know, you know, you know. So you don't you don't think speculators deserve the bad name that they have earned? 
Well, you know what? They get the good names. You know, they get a good name when, you know, things are going good. But, you know, it's kind of like the oil companies. Oh, big oil. You know, is anybody crying for your oil companies right now? They can't explore. No. No, no, nobody wants No, in fact, it's interesting you mentioned that because in my column that I wrote this week, which you helped me with, thank you for that, but in my column that I wrote this week where I talked about, you know, kind of the silver lining of the higher prices at the pump indicating that the global economy is growing, therefore demand is growing, um, you you should see what people wrote about me on Breitbart.com of all places. Um, they, They really have attacked me. I was surprised. Um, and because they were basically saying that, you know, like nobody's crying for the big oil. Oh, yeah, you want us to feel sorry for big oil. And, and there definitely is no, no love lost out there for big oil. Well, I'll tell you what, and I mean, that's, that's a driving, you know, the, the driving force of the economy. It's part of the economy. So, you know, if... You know, if you want to, you know, it's it's almost like, uh, you know, the politicians, well, big oil, we're going to blame this. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, jokingly not to get, you know, political on you, but Hillary Clinton was talking about, you know, killing the coal industry, you know. But, uh, you know, when she was uh, campaigning in West Virginia, oh, I was taken all out of context. I, I, wasn't that, wasn't that just, just, just a farce to watch? Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's the fallacies, and people believe. Well, I'm not, I'm not worried about big oil. Well, guess what? Um, if you know, if they, you know, if we have more exploration, you'll pay less at the pump. You know, if they make it more, more easier, if we had the pipelines running, you know, versus you know, uh, traveling, traveling by rail, you know, which is you know less safer than you know having a pipeline. Right. You know, the infrastructure is not going to be in place. We're behind the eight ball, and when this ton of oil is gone, everybody's going to be like, why am I paying $10 a gallon or $5 a gallon, which is going to be a reality uh, down the road. And, so know, let's go back for a moment. You, you do see that this glut of oil is going to be gone, and do you, do you agree that we're going to flip to an undersupply by the end of the year? Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about it. And, you know, but, you know barring really, really – Bad economic, uh, you know that you know we have some major demand destruction. Uh, I, we're going to be at the end of the year. We're going to be wondering, where, how come we can't pump more oil? Why can't we do that? Because we have rig counts going down continuously, uh, and you know it's not like you just put, you know turn the lights on and off. Um, and again, you look at Venezuela and what that country is doing. They can't keep the lights on all week. You know, they they have to take their Fridays off. Um, you know, because it it was set in such um, you know a situation where the government was taking all the money and you know taking haircuts off that, and they didn't put any money back into you know keeping the lights on, you know, and telephone lines and working. infrastructure and exactly and the infrastructure. You know, you just you just can't build this in a day, and then again, if you try to bring something back online, you're talking maintenance and, you know, and these, you know, these things that have been dormant, you know, refineries, etc. you know, they haven't been maintained. So it's almost like starting from scratch. And, and, and isn't that part of what they're seeing in Iran as well, that, you know, we're, we've all been expecting all this new oil to come online in Iran, but uh, some of what I've heard is it, it can't come online as quickly as they projected for exactly what you're saying. They don't even have they don't have the money to build the infrastructure back up. 
Exactly, exactly, and that's you know part of you know why I, I guess we lifted the sanctions to give them money. But you know you can throw money at this all you want; it's still going to take time. To, you know, get the infrastructure in place. You have to maintain. You know, you know, you know, get you know, get the wheels rolling, and then you you know maintain it and find out if it works, and um, you know you you know for safety hazards you know and uh, it, you know it doesn't happen in a day, Marita, and yeah. we're gonna we're gonna wake up, and every you know and then all those people that uh, you know you know <laughs> use your name in vain on Breitbart, you know they're gonna be the first <laughs> ones complaining, you know. <laughs> Yeah, they will be the first ones complaining, that's for sure. Because, and, and I mean, everybody be does love the low prices. Everybody does love the low prices at the pump, myself included. I filled up yesterday uh, for about a dollar more than I filled up a couple months ago, a dollar more a gallon than I filled up a couple months ago. And, and yeah, it makes a difference. But uh, when you look at the idea uh, that I addressed in my column that the higher demand means uh, the global economy is strengthening. And, and having it, you know, when you think about it, when the U.S. production grew, which is roughly 2008, was also the time the economy collapsed. And that meant we had more production and declining demand. And uh, if we, we need to have a growing demand, and that's a good sign for everybody. Absolutely, and you know, again, again, you know, it was at that time it was you know speculators and in, into the market right now because where would you put the money? We were doing you know bank stress tests. They were putting money like it was going out of business, and uh, you know, again, it's kind of like you know, you know, go back and drink, you know, drink the punch or don't drink the punch. You know, it's kind of like taking an antibiotic. You know, too much of it, then your body gets immune to it, and then you're really going to get sick. So, you know, my point being is that all the naysayers, um, you know, they're going to be the first ones to complain when, you know, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be so, you know, demand is going to be up, and we we won't be able to to deliver product. So we we'll, we've got about a minute and a half left. What else do you want to make sure our listeners know about about this topic? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know, the main thing is, I, I believe China is going to be coming in huge, and you know, very huge, and be a very major player in the Middle East. And um, uh, you know, I, I believe between China and India, those emerging markets are going to make historically make prices go higher. And uh, uh, so, the emerging markets, the emerging markets are playing a big role in this. Absolutely, and and it's a shame because the United States' current administration inherited, you know, we had the Canadian pipeline, you know, the Canadian sands. We 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 inherited where we could be like a net, you know, not net yet an export. This would have been a hub. We would have been importing, exporting oil, and unfortunately now, you know, it's kind of like we went back, you know, we we went back in time um, versus being a you know a major player. Uh, in the future, that would be good for our economy, which would you know created jobs, and uh, you know kind of kept the price you know kept prices at check at the pump. Yeah, well, we've just got a few seconds left, uh, Daniel Flynn. Thanks for joining us. How can people get a copy of your corn and ethanol report? It's a, you send that out daily. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. Um, you can contact me at um, 
888-264-5665, or my email address is dflynn, that's F-L-Y-N-N, at pricegroup.com. Great. We, I appreciate your insights today. I think we've put together a really great show. Uh, thanks for joining us, Dan Flynn, and for all the rest of you, please join us again next week for America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for listening. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.